But as we begin, uh, we're going to be studying, uh, continue studying the book of Hebrews in chapters 5 and 6. If you'd like to go ahead and turn or scroll there in your Bibles or your Bible app. Um, so just a little introduction. The Bible is a collection of works written over uh, the course of a few thousand years. Um, it's kindly divided into two sections. In the first part, uh, we are told how God created the world, placed humanity in the world, um, in community with God himself. Um, but rather than listen to God's commandments, we chose to disobey and lost our community with God. The Bible also shares about the nation of Israel, um, and through their systems of kings, prophets, and priests, we're told of a family who was selected and set apart by God. The second part of the Bible, which we call the New Testament, um, tells us of the life and ministry of the Son of God, Jesus, who lived, died, and was resurrected so that we could be back in community with God. The Bible then continues telling the story of the first followers of Jesus, uh, or the early church, and that's where uh, we find the book of Hebrews um, that we've been studying. So just as a review, uh, the book of Hebrews is a letter from an unnamed author. Um, he is, they are shown to have a direct tie to the apostles, um, giving instruction to the early church. Um, the author, as we've already seen in the, the past weeks, relies heavily on imagery and narrative found in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, um, such as comparisons to angels, Moses, and the priestly line. That's what we're going through right now. Um, but through it all, we see that Jesus is true and better than any part of creation he is compared to. Uh, last week, Brother Will, who's in the children today, um, preached on how Jesus is the true and better high priest in chapters 4 and 5. Uh, we saw that Jesus, as a great high priest, has far exceeded any priest that ministered before him, that he is a suitable high priest, a sympathizing high priest, and a saving high priest. Um, so today we're going to continue in chapter 5. We'll start in verse 11, if you just prepared to go through there. We're going to be studying as we go. Um, the section starts off with a bit of a reprieve from the previous instructions given and is instead continuing on showing how Jesus, compared to others, uh, the author takes a moment to give a warning against apostasy. Um, so if you're like me, apostasy is not a word I use basically ever. I don't, I don't even know if I did it in seminary stuff, but... Um, but a basic definition of apostasy is it's an act um, of refusing to continue, follow, obey, or recognize religious faith. Um, in, in the ESV, it calls it falling away. Some different um, versions give different, verses, different words, but apostasy, falling away. Um, again, it's an act of refusing to continue to follow, obey, or recognize the faith. Um, as we look at this warning against turning away from faith in Jesus, one overarching thing becomes clear. As we look at this warning against turning away from faith in Jesus, um, we have nothing without the gospel. Once again, if you hear only one thing I say today, remember this, there is nothing truer or better than the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's get in the text and we'll begin in verse 11 of chapter 5. Um, so verse 11 says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Um, the author here swings hard and straight for the mark. The topic that needs to be covered is continuing the discussion from verse 10 of how Jesus is a priest on the order of Melchizedek. However, the seriousness of this discussion requires addressing issues before the author can move on. Um, the phrase dull of hearing is a particular call to action as hearing the Bible is usually not just about listening, 
um, but it also includes a component of obedience. Um, this calls to my mind the prayer known as the Shema. Uh, it's the first word in the prayer, which um, translates into English as, Hear, O Israel. And it's a call to obey the true God from Deuteronomy. So this is a question as to whether believers are willing to obey God and his teachings at a fundamental level, recalling the basic elements of our faith. The passage continues in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need some to teach you, and again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. The foundation laid here is that the gospel causes growth. In other words, we grow because of the gospel. The assumption here is not that just is not just that the gospel will grow us, but it also causes growth in those around us. Each of us as individuals have to have a forward momentum as we learn and grow. However, without firmly grasping this foundation, we cannot grow beyond that of an infant or a child. The passage continues with the second part of verse 12. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, both solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Um, there's a similar passage, a uh, parallel, provided by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which says, um, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So the theme and sentiment in both of these passages is the same. We must grow beyond our initial understanding. The gospel leads us to, to salvation, but our relationship with God is intended to be more than a plan for our survival. The good news of Jesus is one of relationship where we get to have community with the one creator and sustainer. This requires work. The mark given in Hebrews is a practice discernment where believers know and practice rightly knowing good from evil, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceit, deceitful screen, schemes, as Ephesians 4 tells us. And so we grow because of the gospel. But it isn't just that we grow because of the gospel, it's also that we never outgrow the gospel. Verse 6 says, um, chapter 6 begins, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So the author is assuming a basic understanding of the gospel. Foundation does not need to be built a second time if it is the correct foundation. Rather than once again repeating what should be known, we get a list of common issues of basic understanding. So likely this list um, outlines specific issues with the faith of the original recipients, which, once again, we don't know exactly who this was written to. Um, but even still today, beliefs about these elementary doctrines um, divide Christianity, Christianity, creating various silos and denominations. Um, as one example, the word washing in here um, most likely refers to baptism. Um, which has, in our modern context, has a, a variety of interpretations. So we have practices of infant baptism, um, believer's baptism, and then there's also uh, some traditions uh, include a separate spiritual baptism that must be undergone outside of a physical baptism. Um, and so even though there's a foundation of repentance, 
um, needs to be secured and reminded, but does not need to be rebuilt. Um, But let us also not forget that all of our growth is determined by the will of God as He holds together all of creation. Verse 4 continues, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God, but it bears thorns and thistles. It is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So here we see a giant warning given, and it is this. Uh, rejecting God is rejecting the salvation of God, or rejecting Jesus is rejecting the salvation of God. Here we see that what happens when someone who has followed God in the past chooses to fall away. Um, the phrase falling away in verse 6 is where we, our word apostasy comes from, um, or once again, just a reminder, an act of refusing to continue to follow, or obey, or recognize the faith. And just as Jesus was crucified once and for all, provided forgiveness for all sins, there is no need to call for a second sacrifice by turning away and then back to Jesus. We see an illustration of a person who has become hard-hearted, much like Pharaoh over Egypt, who refused to listen to the word of God and let the nation of Israel leave Egypt. A hard heart leads to curse and a lack of producing fruit. So we see that genuine repentance or conversion is marked by consistency in the faith. That followers of God will continue on bearing good fruit as faith continues. The gospel doesn't change and we can't move on from it. Verse 9 continues, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So after the stark warning comes a blessed assurance. Salvation is at hand. As we discussed before, we see the foundation of the gospel leads us to grow as individuals, but also in community with others. We can see the outward effect of our growth as we serve others who also trust in Jesus. Likewise, in community, we see models of those who are growing in faith so that each of us may be like other believers as they are each like Jesus. So we have this hope that we continue onward in the promise of the gospel as a foundation that we never outgrow. So now we come to our last point, that God anchors the gospel. Verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So we're reminded of the story of Abraham or Abram and how he was called to leave a land and people that he knew and move into the wilderness, relying on God alone. Abraham was given a promise that he and his family would be blessed and in turn be a blessing to all nations. And Abraham was faithful to where the Bible tells us his faithfulness was credited to him as righteousness because Abraham had hope, though not perfected it several times. Uh, Abraham does a lot of uh, interesting things. Um, 
But this hope that Abraham had, it wasn't a wishful thinking, but it was waiting on the realization of a promise made to him, a sure thing that comes forward. He's not just hoping, wishing, crossing his fingers, saying, maybe this will happen. He said, um, what was credited to him was that God is going to come through for him. It took a long time. It took a lot of waiting. It took a lot of missteps. But God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. Missteps by Abraham. I just want to clarify that. Um, Verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So we too can have hope in the Son of God. God gives us a promise that his Son cares for our souls for all eternity. God didn't need to, but he chose to back his promise with an oath on himself that our hope can be secured. God is our strong tower, our fortress when we seek refuge. So we have every reason to hope in God and only ourselves to rely on apart from God. Verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast hope of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, have become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we've taken this detour, and now he's tying it back into what he wanted to talk to in the beginning, um, the, the priestly order of Melchizedek. And we're not going to talk about it here because that's next week. Um, hopefully, it's been teasing that for two weeks, and hopefully Jeremy um, gives us the full definition of Melchizedek. But just precursor, Melchizedek was a high priest of God, but he was not one Jewish or of the right line of Judaism because he was not Jewish at all. So he was also a king, which is also not a thing that happens. Kind of happened with David, kind of happened with Moses. They were both priestly, but not a thing that usually happens. So um, just, but coming back to verse 19 and 20, we have uh, more, uh, no more need for a temple or a tabernacle. The presence of God is no longer only accessible in a small, separated room to a single person who has followed ritual purity laws. Rather, as Jesus going before us, we have direct access to God through Jesus, a priesthood of all who believe in and know Jesus. It no longer matters if you are a select priestly line of a select people group. We are anchored as God anchors the gospel. No force can unearth the gospel, can unearth the anchor, that holds our salvation and community with God. It is secured, promised, and daily accessible. So having worked our way through the passage, what does that mean for those of us here today? Um, what does a letter written by an unnamed author to an unnamed people have to do with our lives? Um, so first of all, we must continually cling to the good news of Jesus. Uh, we must know the gospel. If you've been to a life group of mine, that's a question I ask every time, and every time uh, somebody rolls their eyes and gives me a you know, two to three sentence summary of the gospel, but we're going to do it again here. I'm not going to call on y'all, but I'm sure each of you would be ready and willing. But um, first of all, um, um, we know that we um, 
are separated from God by choosing to follow our own will rather than His. That to remedy this, God sent His Son, Jesus, to teach us and to live a perfect life. That the God-man Jesus died on a cross to cover our sins with His blood and then rose again, conquering and killing death. And Jesus invites us to join into relationship with Him, to know Him and love Him and live out our isolation in community with Him. And knowing the gospel leads us to hold tight to the good news as there is nothing better we can rely on in all of creation. Further, this hope is not just for us, but is available to all who trust in him, so we are always ready and willing to share the cause for our hope, the foundation we walk upon. And while the good news changes everything, it is not the end of our walk with God. We must yearn for greater understanding and more intimate walk with God. We're not on milk. We're looking for solid foods. The gospel is not just about salvation from a fiery end, but is about growing community with God and others. God has given us much more to better understand his ways and how we should be. The gospel can be conveyed in a matter of sentences, but God has given us thousands of pages of his word and a rich history of believers who have come and learned before us. When we are satisfied with a simple understanding, we are denying our access to the Holy Spirit who leads us daily. I'm sure on the back table back there, you can pick up a little packet that has probably four or five pages and can walk you through the, you know, the gospel message, enough for salvation. But that's not the end. We have a great work um, of artistry, of, of deep insight. Um, not that there are secret things that are hidden from us, but that there is much to learn, much to grow in. Um, and further still, our growth is in community. Bring others along with you. Share what you know. Mentor those with less understanding and faith and seek out others who can mentor you. We are one body, and with Jesus as the head, we can all move upward. Lastly, we must anchor our souls to Jesus. We are given direct access to God. This is an incredible and invaluable gift. We must hold tight to the gospel as well as continue through this life. 1 Corinthians tells us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There is no anchor against the adversary that, than that provided by the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to close just by reading that passage one more time so we can contemplate it, we can think about it, and we can grow from it. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works or of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again 
to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to be cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled the refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Amen. God, you are good. We thank you for our time here. We pray that we can learn to follow you, that whatever we do, we are growing from the gospel, that it is our sure foundation. It is our anchor that tethers us into the correct location, the correct knowledge, um, but that we do not just stop at knowing the gospel, that we yearn for more, that the gospel is enough for salvation, but it is not enough to continue to grow and love you more and more. God, help us to grow as individuals. Help us to grow as a community. Help us to grow as a church. Help this area of Rose Hill be more like you. God, we pray this in your name. Amen.